Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. You're very welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Hope you had a nice weekend, despite the weather. Wasn't it simply awful? I honestly thought on, was it Friday, Saturday evening, it was like November. Not like July, to be honest with you. The rain, the wind, the leaves blowing everywhere. Me heart went out to the concert goers, especially those at the Forever Young uh, Festival weekend. What a lineup they had. And they were ringing. You know, these people were contacted not to go. Yes, not to turn up, not to show up. The situation was that badly, especially, I think, day ticket people and that as well. Oh, mother of God, would you ever think it had happened on the 17th of July? Bang in the middle of summer. And it did rain on St. Swithin's Day. It did. It rained on St. Swithin's Day. So 40 days and nights be prepared. So the saying goes anyway. Well, look, we can only hope and pray. I'm watching the weather here on the TV screen as we begin the week, as I always do. The weather's always on when we come on air. And actually a little bit later in the week, it looks to be not too bad. Perhaps there's a settle coming. We need a big high pressure to come in off the Atlantic. And I suppose if you're in the south of Spain, Italy, Greece or wherever, you I'd love to have a bit of what we are having. No, you wouldn't. You'd rather the sun any time. Anyway, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Lots of guests over the next couple of hours. And I start with someone I absolutely love. She's a columnist with the independent newspaper group. And I always read everything she has to say. And she always has an opinion on everything. Sarah Carey, welcome back to the show. Good afternoon, Terry. Well, did the weather get to you at the weekend like myself? Well, I have a dirty little secret, oh. Terry. Which is that... When it's raining, actually, there's a kind of liberation in that because then I can just lie down and take a little nap and I don't feel like I should be outside improving myself in some way. So I, for me, the rain isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world. I think that's a fantastic way to look at it. You're right, the pressure's off. You don't have to be running here, running there, out in the open or getting the tan of the glow or whatever. Good, good tip there from Sarah Kerry. Look, I was reading you this on Saturday in the paper and I had to smile. Yeah, Ryan Tuberty and the RTE situation, of course. But you know what hopped out of me and something that is a fact in life today. This lynch mob who move from subject to subject, victim to victim. It's it's relentless. Mm. Every week there's someone and you know, it's not that they've been accused of a crime and they're being convicted. It's just this shaming about behaviour. And half the time you don't know what's true and what's not true. Accusations are made. They can be wildly exaggerated and there's no mercy. They're handed out of their job. 
when you look at social media, the things that are said about them, like it's just totally distorting people and what their families go through. So, you know, the point I was making, well, this week it's people in RTE and this will blow over and then the next week it will be somebody else. And it really destroys people's lives. And I I really find it difficult to watch and I'm sure many of of your listeners do too. Mm. It's really creepy, isn't it? It is, and where anything can be said and there's nothing governing it it law-wise. I think you and I have said this before. If we put a foot wrong here, we'll have a letter tomorrow morning, uh, probably, uh, uh, if we say something untoward. But you can say what you like in that Wild West scenario. Here's the other thing about what you wrote. Do I take it from it that you feel Tuberty is mostly innocent as charged? He is, because I was talking to you just a few weeks ago, and for mm. example, at that stage, it looked like his um, salary had been understated every year for six years. And it turns out, particularly in 2017, 18, 19, and it turns out that was completely false, that they had accounted for his salary in a bizarre way, and in which, you know, they got it all completely wrong. He was completely innocent of the underreporting allegation. That was one thing. Um, and then the second thing was all this business, you know, about the crazy accounting methods in RTE, this barter account and um, the in, uh, invoice for consulting fees, you know, like Dee Forbes instructed Geraldine O'Leary to get that done. He had no sight of any of that. Like he really did not know that any of that was going on. And there was no way he could have known, you know, what was going on within RTE itself. No. So what I say is, look, what he did actually do was seek and agree to this side deal with Renault and that meant that the official 20% pay cut from RT was in reality a 10% pay cut. But he was doing extra work for us. He agreed to do these this odd late, late roadshow with Renault. You know, so everything else though was on the RT side. So a lot of stuff came out, a lot of accusations were made and a lot of people thought that he was colluding in a lie about what he was being paid and he actually wasn't. Mm. So, you know, he did get the raw end of the stick on that, I think. Will he be back? You know, it's still unclear, isn't it, Jerry? I mm. think there's very much a feeling from listeners that um, he should come back. But I think probably a decent interval. The last time I was on, I'd said maybe three or four months. Maybe it needs to be longer now. Maybe it needs to be next year. Maybe not such a high profile show. But I think a lot of people would feel it would be quite unfair if there was no way back for him over what turns out to be not a case of any kind of um, deceit or fraud or anything like that. Mm. You know, just these goings on in RTE, a corporate level where really bizarre things happened. And I think as well, he did get caught up in a maelstrom of all these other things. So, for instance, all this corporate entertainment, you know, the toy show musical, you know, none of that had anything to do with him. And he's been dragged into all of that. So Mm. I think a lot of people would have some sympathy towards him. You make very interesting points about the personality and the tie in with the personality and the advertisers and those streams of revenue coming to all stations and then the subsequent link to the JNLRs. We all quiver when we hear that word and the figures come out quarterly or whenever, you know, as to how your listenership is doing. Is it up? Is it down? And Are you gaining or are you losing? Would you like to see that changed? I suppose we would in Radio Land. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So just for the listeners, what yeah. happens is when you have TV ratings, you have this Nielsen set-top box. So there's a device mm. attached to the telly. 
so they can see exactly what you're watching and for how long. But with these listenership, it's, there's no device. It's a survey. So they pick people and they interview them and they say, what did you listen to, you know, last Monday between half one and two? And you say, well, of course I listened to Jerry Kelly on LMFM. <laughs> what else would I be listening to? But it is done on memory. <clears throat> and that means that branding and um, reliability are very, very important. So the stations know <clears throat> that what you need to do is you pick a name and you relentlessly stick to a schedule so that people remember 10 years later, you know, that you're yeah. still on at that time. It's very heavily based on that. And then they take those figures and the sales guys go out to the advertisers and say, look, this is what the, litner- this is what the listenership is. So it means that schedulers are very nervous about doing anything different. And that's why RT in particular, they have this super rigid schedule. And I think that that's what leads to this whole celebrity culture. And if there was a more scientific way of measuring um, listenership, you know, you might get a little bit mm. more variety. And, um, <clears throat> you know, so that's, that's really what's at the heart of all of this. And then, of course, you know, the people are quite rigid in their listening habits. So particularly for RTE, there are people listening who will never move, you know. So I think yes. that does give them leeway to do more interesting things. So I was saying in the piece, look, that hour that Ryan Tuberty has at 9 a.m. every day, huge audience sitting there just after Morning Ireland. And I think they should have done far more interesting things with it. So, in other words, maybe this crisis is an opportunity to start giving us something a little bit better from the national broadcaster. Mm. By the way, I've never met anybody who's ever been asked in the JNLR. I've asked many people all my time, <laughs> have you ever surveyed on this? I haven't come across one person in all my years who said, you'd think I'd meet one who say, oh yeah, I was asked, but there yeah. you go. That's yeah, just an observation yeah. of mine. Um, funding going forward, I'd Orla Carmody honoured me uh, last week, late last week, talking about this, uh, the, uh, you know, trying to marry the public funding with the commercial side of the operation. They're not going to change that, are they? I don't see how they can, because if you make it solely public funding, well, then that means the public has to give a lot more funding, you know, and are they going to do that? And as Geraldine O'Leary did say at one of the Oireachtas committees, you know, they have earned, what, $1.6 billion in advertising over the last 10 years. Mm. So do we want to stop up that $1.6 billion? Um, but I think, and, and, you know, so that is the problem that they have. And then, of course, the independent radio stations such as yourselves, I know there is some public funding that can be got for documentaries and things like that. But there's absolutely a case to be made that you're doing public service broadcasting and yes. deserve a better cut of that. So that's, there was a future of media commission and they were proposing that there would, it, there would be more steady funding coming from the Exchequer, but it would be more fairly divided um, between all the different radio stations. And then the newspapers also have a grievance because they say that they generate a lot of the stories for broadcasting. So I know I had a producer in News Talk um, who several years ago challenged News Talk and said, let's see, can we go for a week uh, making stories in our programme without relying on newspapers? And they gave up after two days. (laughs) You know, news news will break stories and then the radio stations will leapfrog off that or the radio stations rely heavily on the specialist reporters from the news um, uh, newspapers. You know, so a lot yes. of the independent radio stations wouldn't have an education correspondent, you know, or something like that. Mm. So, so newspapers feel that they should have a cut of it too. So these are all big questions. I think there probably will have to be more taxpayer funding because a good media is important and you don't want to end up like America. 
or you don't want Murdoch funding everything. You know, mm. so mm. we may have to cough up and just accept it. Mm. And, and you're right, and, and they'll tell you as well, and it's a fact, uh, newspapers are on the ball now. News, There's no holding news anymore. It's now the news is, and newspapers are, are on that, uh, you know, uh, what would you say, that platform as well, equally with ourselves and television and online as well. And that has to be said, and this does need to be looked at now, and perhaps this will precipitate that. Let's move on a bit. I want to go back to where I started blathering about the weather. Mm-hmm. And as you saw, you know, have we slightly missed or maybe slightly hit our targets yet again? This little green island where everything is lovely and the water is pure and the air is beautiful. <laughs> are we codding ourselves? Yeah, we are. Because, look, carbon emissions in Ireland, as in many countries, are directly linked to the economy. When the economy is booming, carbon emissions goes up because people are producing more, they're consuming more, they're travelling more, they're doing everything more, more, more. And we're going to have to find a way to live where we can break that link between a good economy and carbon emissions. And we're just going to have to do things differently. And every time you put it to people, they just don't want to change how they live. And that goes from they're buying bigger cars, um, you know, the SUVs. Mm. We're still too inclined to jump into the car and drive somewhere when maybe we could go on the bike instead. People still like to travel for their holidays or producing, like we are producing too much milk, farming is going to have to cut back and the farmers are very upset about that so we need to find a way that they can be compensated for that. You know, we have to, we have to change how we live and in, at an individual level, most people don't want to do it and we're seeing the results of that now on the continent. You know, I think we'll probably get to a point where we just simply won't go to the continent for the summer. It will be too hot. So if that's not a warning signal to people, I don't know what is. But I don't know what will persuade people to give up their current lifestyles. Um, we're getting away with it at the moment because a bit of rain actually mm. doesn't harm us that much. Um, but other people in the world um, are not uh, so lucky. That affects food production. So it will affect us in one way. And it does mean there'll be climate refugees. And mm. we're going to have to take in so not just war refugees, but climate refugees. So... You know, we need to start facing some hard truths, I'm afraid. Mm, I think uh, when it impacts practically on us as human beings, for example, say your water supply was contaminated, not just for a few days, Mm. but for a long time. Then I think, Sarah, things like that, people start to maybe wake up a bit to this. Yeah, it needs to be directly affecting them Mm. on a non-abstract level. Um, So it's exactly that kind of thing. I think our problem is that if you jump in the car, uh, you know, you feel that you need to be there and you need to be doing that. And there's excuses why you can't do it, you know, take alternative transport. I do it myself, Jerry. I jump mm. into the car if I'm going to Dublin when if I with a bit better planning, I could actually have time to take the bus or the train. But it's just easy. And um, and that's why I think a lot of government policy is going to have to be centred around sticks as well as carrots. Mm. So, for example, just ban parking in urban centres. You're just not allowed in at all. Mm. You know, nationalise some of the big city centre car parks, that kind of thing. Because unless people are actually forced into change, they're not going to do it voluntarily. Like when we had the plastic bag tax or like when smoking is banned indoors. Yes. You can't rely on people. People's good behaviour. No. You do actually have to force them to do it. But that means governments need to have a willingness to be unpopular and do unpopular things in the greater good. And as we know now, politicians mightn't necessarily be so fond of doing something like that, but we do need a bit of bravery here. 
the other topic I want to just mention to you today was the whole area of public expenditure mm. and the National Children's Hospital is the focus at the moment. I, I read Connor Skihan too every week in the um, Sunday Independent. He's a very good guy. Met him yeah. recently too. I was at a, an event he was at and I thought he was so logical. And he was really talking about the Children's Hospital. That this is, this. look, don't get too alarmed about this. And I know politicians, you see it yourself on opposition benches are trying to score as many points as they can. But he said this happens and has happened in the past and will happen in the future yeah. these overruns. What's yeah, your opinion? Right. And I, I read that column of his yeah. and I happen to know a good bit about this area because right. I work in my day job in major project management. Okay. So the guy everybody needs to look up is a guy called Bent Flubier spelled, it looks like Flyberg F-L-Y-V-B-J-E-R-G and he's the world's leading scholar on major project management and he has this iron rule of major projects that they all go over time, over budget, and deliver under benefits. So all around the world, public sector or private sector, and across all different areas, from construction to nuclear sites to uh, software programs to tunnels, all these huge projects always, always, always go um, on huge overspends. Like some stuff like the Parliament building in Edinburgh when something like a thousand percent over budget. Like it's really, mm. really common and not confined to the public sector. And why does it happen? There are two reasons. One is called strategic misrepresentation. In other words, the lie from the start about what they think a project is going to cost because they're afraid if they were truthful, the project would never get approved. More common reason is called optimism bias. And that's where you go, but I'm great and I'm really organized and I have all the information here about my project and I'm absolutely confident I've captured all the costs. But of course, once you start digging a hole in the ground, bad things happen, something is discovered and it ends up going over budget. So there is a whole science behind how you can insure yourself against this and comparing your project to other similar projects around the world. And the Irish government is bringing that in on, on a series of their major projects now. So the Children's Hospital one was missed. That didn't get brought under the new scheme. But they are trying to do this better class of cost forecasting. So it's very frustrating. But personally, if I was a minister and somebody puts a project on my desk and they say it's going to cost X billion, I'd treble it in my mind. You know, mm. that's mm. your pretty... They're pretty yes. safe doing that because they just never come in on budget, ever. Mm. And, and it's the same if you do an extension to bring it to a small scale on your house or that. It can, exactly. you know, exactly. it runs away and, you know, the the builder comes to you and says, well, by the way, I didn't factor this. And as well as that, we have to understand, I think, the way the costs of building materials have absolutely skyrocketed in recent yeah. times. Yeah, so, it, so the point is, it's it's not that the Irish and the Irish government in particular are mm. uniquely incompetent in this. It is widespread and people do need to work together and adopt all these better techniques and just be more honest um, about uh, the risks that are attached to their projects. Personally, for what it's worth now, I know a lot of people are against it, but I actually think the Children's Hospital is in the right place. Mm. Um, I think the spec for it is probably way too high. We didn't need to have the best Children's Hospital in the world. But that site at James's, apart from being on on the same site as the adult hospital has so much public transport. So the buses go through it and Lewis goes through it. It's a 10-minute walk from Houston Station and loads of those intercity, all Western buses all stop down there on those roads. 
And I always think you have to allow, especially for staff working on ships and things, to allow them to get somewhere, you know, at 24 hours a day via public transport and not put more cars on the road. So I know a lot of people thought it should have been out on the M50, but that M50 is a complete disaster. And the mm. only way people can use it is to get another car. So that goes back to your climate change piece. Yes. And maybe there's an argument to be made. Well, look, fine. It costs a lot more money than it might have somewhere else. But in the long term, it can reduce carbon emissions because people won't need a car to get to it. You know, so, but now I'm in a minority in that opinion, Jerry. <laughs> but, um, but I've high hopes for that side. Yeah, but it needs to be said. We've got to listen to uh, minority opinions as well as the majority and the mob and everything we've been talking about today because that debate is actually what leads to, you know, better outcomes for so many things as well that you're not dismissed out of hand. I find that as well. There's an awful lot, you know, just dismissed out of hand and not listened to at all. But uh, I, I hear what you're saying and reading Connor and listening to you and that it does make sense but look of course politicians will have to be re-elected there's an election coming sooner rather than later and we know all the ties in with, with that as well well listen you've been fantastic as usual thank you so much for chatting to us as always on late lunch do read this woman in the irish independent she's fantastic and do support your newspapers local and national as well because in my opinion they are fantastic and we would be a much poorer world without them sarah carey Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, Jerry. Take care. Not at all. Take care. Bye bye. You too, Sarah Carey there. One of our own from County Mead, journalist, broadcaster and columnist with the Independent Group. You're at late lunch on LMFM Radio this Monday afternoon. Got a beautiful card in the post. You know the way I love getting uh, posts to the show. And I do get it quite regular from the wonderful Anne Burton in Slane from Swallow's Nest Cottage. Oh, what a lovely place. Swallow's Nest is her home there. Thanks, Anne. Anne won tickets to the races. And she was just telling me that it's been the first race meeting she went to since her dear brother John passed away. Ah, oh, Anne, I'm sorry to hear that. But she had a great time at the races and she met loads of people she knew and had a really enjoyable time it's lovely to get it thank you it really is Anne Burton really appreciated and the butterfly card is in prime position on my desk in the office for the foreseeable future thank you so much Anne there's a message in there uh, Fitzer that's Peter Fitzpatrick demanded answers from Ryan Tuberty and when his, was in his face it's now time to get him on and talk about the loud the loud pitch fiasco um, etc says a listener there the whole thing about passports for money etc goes on in that message I hear what you're saying funny talking to Sarah Carey a moment ago there she was talking about overruns and project and that's what's happening with the loud stadium project there is an overrun the costs have gone up and there is a shortfall but it's surrounded in controversy now. Isn't it funny? Loud football on a high. What a year. Best year since 1957. Michael here was just saying that to me a while ago. And yet, when in a short space of time, it's chaos all around. It seems, it appears that Peter Fitzpatrick, the chairman, is gone, has resigned. Will there be others to follow? There's a hall put on the stadium by Croke Park. And God knows what's going to happen from here on in. But I'm sure, look, listener, I, I hear what you're saying there. I'm sure Peter will be on uh, with Michael Reid, hopefully in the morning, uh, to talk about this or in the coming days and to explain why he has resigned. We haven't got confirmation, by the way, of that yet. We haven't just got that, but uh, I'm sure uh, confirmation will come because there's no smoke without fire and is being reported in the Argus Trahad Independent by Cuevin Riley that he has resigned. So watch this space. But I'm sure Peter is always a man who's never shied away anyway from facing... 
whatever issue he's had to face uh, and we'll hear about that over the coming days for sure um, well done the weekend to Mead I have to mention Mead football winning the Talton Cup they're back in the big time with Louth it's great to see them back up there in senior football again competing for the All-Ireland next year but seriously well done to Colm O'Rourke his team and all the players a fantastic success and watch this space for the year ahead when they're back competing for Sam Maguire Rory McIlroy at the weekend what about his win in the golf the Scottish Open brilliant can he win the Open Championship this week it's rare for someone to win the Scottish and win the Open the week after Phil Mickelson I think was the last to do it can McIlroy do it I think he can he's playing absolutely brilliant and the tennis you know I love the tennis and Wimbledon Alcaraz the young Spaniard I was cheering for him all the way yesterday I went mad when he won it he's just brilliant he's only 20 he's won Wimbledon he beat the king he beat the king he really did in Djokovic and Djokovic acknowledged it as well a new era is it the end of an old era I think it is you're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio as I said this Monday afternoon 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text if you want to contact us coming up after 2 I'm looking forward to meeting Councillor Rhoda Smith but on the way up to 2 top of the hour it's Mary from the four of us What a great day we had in Croke Park yesterday with Meath, Donald Keoghan and Colm O'Rourke. Simply wonderful from a proud Rat Kenny person. All oh, the flags are flying in Meath today for sure after the win over down in the Talton Cup and that back up at the big boys next year. Delighted you enjoyed it. Wonderful, wonderful victory. Now my next guest on Late Lunch today, I'm delighted she's joining me on the show because I heard quite a bit about her and I said must bring her in sometime to have a chat with me. She's the woman behind Slane Counselling Centre and she's in the hot seat for the next while. Welcome to Late Lunch, Rhoda Smith. Hi, Jerry. Great to be here. It's great to have you with us on the show today. Uh, how long are you in Slane at this stage with the business? With the business is uh, over eight years. So I'm living in Slane about 17 years, mm. but the business started over eight years ago. Right. And I take it that from eight years ago to now, quite a change in terms of busyness. Absolutely. Um, I started by myself um, eight years ago and as time went on, I got busier and busier. So in the last while, particularly over COVID, um, a waiting list appeared. So I would have had a waiting list for constantly for about a year and a half. It's really not nice just to tell anybody who's made the leap to ring to have to wait. So what I did was over a year ago, I brought in more therapists and expanded because the demand is big. What typically do you deal with? It, it's in mental health in general, but specifics type, for example, areas? I suppose we deal with a lot of people that deal with depression, anxiety. Um, OCD seems to be on the rise and quite sort of misunderstood as well. Um, a lot of people with relationship difficulties. So it can be all sorts of difficulties and disorders, um, a mixture of life struggles, but illnesses, people who are living their lives perfectly fine and suddenly the rug kind of gets pulled away from underneath them and they're right to reach out and get some support. And again, just to say the demand is growing year on year. That's why you're going to have 
five, six people in the in the business shortly. Absolutely. So at the moment, as well as me, I have four other therapists um, and we are busy. So we work evenings, daytimes, online, weekends. The demand is growing. Um, I think there's a big legacy from COVID, um, but also some people don't know how to effectively look after their mental health. I think it's something that we all imagine is just... Um, robust and, and we should be able to cope. But it's important to invest in our mental health, just like our physical health. So for all of them reasons, um, the demand is going up. So there won't be a year and a half waiting list. There is no waiting <laughs> list, no waiting list at which, all. Which is good to know. And that's fantastic. What's driving this? And, and is there an age profile in terms of the people coming to you? Or can it be any age? It's it's absolutely any age. I remember I had a woman on their very first appointment counselling ever and she was 87 and she came in. Um, a brand new experience for her. Um, needless to say, she got a warm welcome and was made nice and comfortable because it's way outside comfort zones. Um, I find at the moment the age demographic, there's kind of two age demographics. I think most definitely people in their 40s are feeling strained, but the young people now, so teenagers and early 20s, they're really starting to struggle. I think the likes of social media and all of that, um, the pressure they're under is huge. So all age groups come, um, but I think young people in particular are needing a lot more support. So that lady in our late 80s. Yeah. What would be the youngest person you'd see age wise? Well, our therapist, Ruth Clark, she looks after adolescents. So she could have 13 year olds, 14 year olds coming into her. So from 13 to late 80s. Yeah. Anywhere on that continuum. Anywhere on that. And dealing with any array of issues. Most people, it has to be said, travel this life journey Fine. And thank God if you do. It's Mm -hmm. great, isn't it, that you can cope mentally with whatever comes your way. Sometimes a speed bump, you know, you mentioned that lady at 87, happens on the road. Do you see that frequent as well? That somebody who's, you know, got on fine for years and years and suddenly they need help. Absolutely. I think sometimes life can just throw us curveballs and we we're not really meant to know how to deal with everything. Um, For people who sort of sail along, I would kind of nearly question who sails along. I think everybody hits something. Um, there's very few people in their entire life, if anyone can get through without getting depressed or anxious or stressed, I think they'd be an anomaly, to be honest. So um, I think most people will have something to deal with. And I think, again, we all always expect ourselves to be fine. But Sometimes we're not fine and sometimes things build up um, and then it starts to get a bit overwhelming. And to have someone to go to that's away from all the, the, the stresses of life where you can look after yourself. No one else is in the room. It's just for you um, can be really, really helpful. You've, you've made me rethink the question that I put to you <laughs> because you are right. We all experience this. But what I'm saying really is some people can deal with it and cope with it and, and get by it without. And, and then there are others, you're right, who don't seek the help. You know what yeah. I mean? Who feel perhaps a shame or unease. You know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. Like I think for some people and again, it's that sort of approach, whereas with physical health, I kind of frequently align therapy with physiotherapy. So if you have a 
you, your knee gets sore, you know what to do. You stretch it, you put ice on it. But if it doesn't get better, we'll go to a physio. We'll get a few sessions, start to feel better and stop. And counselling and therapy is the same. So if we're finding ourselves stressed, worried, down, um, we know what to do. Some of us, um, but when it gets too much and it's not going away, that's where you reach out and get support. Eight years ago, you started social media, let's say perhaps in its infancy, but in eight years, my God, look at the way this has engulfed everybody from any age, you know, children, you know, this as young as younger than 13 want these phones, want to be connected, etc. It's a course in one way, isn't it? I think there's like anything, pluses and minuses. I think through COVID, this is where social media and internet connection with people kind of shone. Yes. So we were all on our Zoom calls and we were all having fun. Thank God. But generally, I think for young people who still have an emergence, developing sense of self, um, the constant comparisons of what we're meant to look like, what we're meant to feel like, the photographs of people looking so happy all the time creates this pressure and demand that nobody can live up to. So young people that still don't know themselves yet start to question, well, why don't I feel that way? What's wrong with me? And there's nothing wrong with them. No no one in their teens knew themselves and knew what to do and how to deal with stuff. So it, it most definitely is having a huge impact on people, on children. Comparison. Do you see that word? I think that's one of the key words in this whole area, isn't it? Mm, Comparisons. Comparisons. You know, look at them. Look at what they have. Look what I have and got the grass greener on. And it's not the reality. It's not true at all. And like, I suppose for me, so I'm in my late 40s, um, hitting stages of my life that are challenging and you see other people doing the same. And even I would fall into the trap of comparing and looking at people online and have to pull myself back from that and kind of allow myself to be myself flawed and um, human. Um, So I think there's no age group that doesn't get put into a category of this is how you're meant to be. Um, So those comparisons, we never look at someone else and go, do you know what, actually, I'm doing okay here. We have a negative bias in our heads that leads us down bad paths and we just, it doesn't help us. I often thank God I was reared in an era when this didn't exist and I was able to experience life like that. And thank God I have that. I am very content in myself and what I have. And I say that to myself, Rhoda, nearly every day. Brilliant. I am lucky. I am fortunate. And I think it helps. It's a huge help when you can... It does. Like I, I, That's something that I would sort of remind people. I think the way to hold on to what we have sometimes is simply gratitude. Mm. It's being grateful for the good stuff. And particularly people when they're um, dealing with bad depression and everything is bleak and dark. I think sometimes if we can remember what four things am I grateful for? Today, I had a lovely dinner and the weather was nice and I got a phone call off my friend and that holding gratitude for the simple things just kind of changed that negative picture to something that there is positivity there. How did you come to this business, this job that you do now so well? Um, Really, it started when when I was young, my parents separated. So um, in my head, my life was kind of plodding along nicely. I was in the leaving cert year in school and everything changed. Absolutely everything. Um, Where we lived, people we saw, relationships with family members, 
everything changed. So as we all do in tough spots, you keep going, you do what you have to do, you get on. But in the years after that, I would have had reoccurring anxiety and depression. Um, and it kind of would grip me every now and then and I would feel really, really bad. And then I would I would kind of just get through and then it would go away and I would think I was OK, I'm fine now. But it just kept coming and going. So eventually um, I did go to counselling um, because I got to a place where I couldn't go to work. So I um, had to go to see a counsellor and it's so hard to come in, walk in that door. But it was through that that I kind of learned so much about myself and learned um, how to look after myself, learned about how I felt. Um, and a big thing, which was that it's OK to think of me, that it's OK for me to kind of consider what's right for me, what's wrong for me and make them choices. And ever since I did that, I suppose everything changed for the positive. I would have invested in doing like little sort of well-being courses. And um, I just kind of um, was so interested in how things can impact us, how things can make us feel. So it was always around me. Um, But I didn't actually start college till I was um, about 35. So I got married, had my children and um, but it was always there. So I was late starting college, um, but I loved it. Um, And so now... um, I really enjoy the job I'm doing. Like, it's always a privilege to sit with someone, be invited into their space and into their struggles. And and as much as I've learned it and I've done the course and I've done further uh, training, I think it's the counsellors that have lived it, that have lived through the struggles. So we can absolutely relate to the client that's sitting in front of us, to the struggles that they're dealing with and even to how hard it is for them to walk in the door. Everyone that comes to counselling usually says, I should have been here long ago. I've had your number for ages. And it's so, so common for that to happen. Um, And I suppose for Slane Counselling Centre, the ethos of our centre is that we are very informal. We are very down to earth and relaxed and we offer a very sort of warm welcome. The aim is to make people as comfortable as they can to come in. And then once they're in and feeling comfortable, that's where we do our professional effective therapy and um, we do it in line with our with our clients. We do it together. Um, so I think for me, it's having lived it has brought me there. But it's it's always an honour to be to share someone's story and their space and connect with them in the, in that place. So it's a fantastic job. I, I feel blessed to be able to do it. I've only met you and I can tell you I understand why you're so successful. You have a lovely way about you. You have a warmth about you. And I'm sure people feel very comfortable in your company too. What are the traits? What are the main traits that you would say that as a counsellor you need? Um. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, well, thank you very much for that. That's nice to hear. Um, as traits, honestly, I think it's people that have lived it too. The people that have been through it. I think other things is, I suppose, patience and the ability to listen. Um, sometimes when we listen to people, to clients, we have to follow them. So the, the therapy is called person centred. So that means that the therapy is, is centred around the client. So being willing to follow, to follow where they're going, to follow what they're saying. Um, and like often I will have clients coming in and in a day I will have no idea what I'm going to hear, what's what's coming through the door. So it's the openness to be able to receive whatever comes in the door Um that positive regard for someone no matter what they're going through um, and understanding that they're going through difficulty. I think also sometimes we have to remember that as therapists we really don't have control over how successful therapy is going to be because our job is the 50 minutes or an hour with the client. The client brings it out and the client has to do the work outside and we support them in every way we can to help them do that. And sometimes things will fit into place and really help and sometimes things don't and then we kind of chuck them and start again. Mm. Um, So I, I think really being able to be sort of emotionally available and ready to emotionally meet somebody and hear them is one of the key things. Is every case individual or through experience of the eight years you've spent at this where you come across, I'm sure, similar situations with different people? Do you yeah. become better at, you like the good wine, do you mature with age? Are you better? <laughs> Always, absolutely. <laughs> um, I think what happens is no one is the same. No person is the same. I could have five people dealing with depression, but their experience of their depression is different Mm. because they're looking at the world through their own eyes. So um, we kind of have to, I suppose what it is, is I know depression. I know anxiety. I know how to navigate through emotions and feelings. But the client knows themselves better. So it will always be different. There will be similarities in symptoms, I suppose. And this is where with with certain disorders, when they've been existing for a long time, people identify as the symptoms. And sometimes when you say to them, do you have this symptom, that symptom, the other symptom? And they'll say yes. And I'll go, well, how do I know that? Because these are symptoms. They're not you. Um, So um, things can be um, uniform, but every person is different. Mm. We mentioned, the I mentioned, brought up the comparison and the the difficulty that is with the, the world of social media today. Can we deal with this? on a large scale because a lot of people affected by this it's pervasive it's there now it's going to get more dominant in our lives in the future 
can we turn the wheel here back to, you know, make people realise it's not the be all and end all. It's not the reality. I don't know. Um, I suppose I think with young people, it's very hard not to. Mm. I think the way to kind of assist is conversation, conversation about how we feel, normalising um stress, normalising I'm feeling a bit down, normalising I'm, I'm getting a bit worried about this mm. and if we can talk more freely about this stuff and if we can listen more freely without judgement I think that will be the thing that no matter what the impact of social media and comparisons can have when we go back to our friends and go oh my god I felt really self-conscious I went in there and they go no and and support each other it's very unnormal to feel self-conscious that can be a little bit of a kryptonite for um, for the difficulty or the negativity. So I think that I don't think social media is going to go anywhere. But if we talk a lot about how we feel, if we support each other with that, if we make it normal, um, we have a way to deal with it. Before we finish, got to ask you this. Do you feel like a sponge at times and do you have to squeeze that sponge? Um, yes and no. So I suppose when you're when you go through the training, one of the things you train is how to separate um, my own stuff from the clients. So we there's a personal development that's needed to do this work, that you do that in line with your training. So generally, what's in the room is not mine. So I don't take it on. However, there will always be a client whose story kind of will tip off my own. And for those days when the client leaves, it's I, I take a little piece of time for me mm. and I take I allow my heart to break for that client or allow myself to feel for them. Um, but then I leave it behind when I go home. I suppose if we sponge and take it all in, the next client that walks in the door is not going to get what they need. So we don't take in too much. We stay in the client space. Yes, really, really interesting. It's been fantastic meeting you today. It really has. Slain Counselling, how do people get in touch? I know your phone number and everything is online. Well, slaincounsellingcentre.ie. So we are online. We have a website. Um, On that is email, phone number. And recently what we added to the website was a booking system. So, so many people find it hard to make that call to get in touch. So there's a booking system on the website as well that anybody can go on and see what appointments and daytime suit and absolutely book yourselves in. So um, any questions, no hesitations of when it comes to email, phone calls, we are available and ready to help. Rhoda Smith, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Wish you well. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Who has the lottery ticket? Has it been declared yet? Who are you in the Wee County? I'm just thinking here, I didn't check my own lottery ticket the other night as well. Uh, James McAlarney is with me today. James, you haven't got that ticket, have no, you? No, it's not me, Jerry. I don't Are play the sure? lottery, so I'm sure. And sure? I tell you what, Jerry, if it was me, I wouldn't be in here. <laughs> I would have put in a call this morning to say that I've better things to do than to come in and panel late lunch. I'm happy and all as I am to be here, Jerry. If I had a couple of million quid in my back pocket, I wouldn't be here. But anyway, whoever it is, enjoy your oh newfound wealth. Yes, health to wear. But I will check my ticket. And you wouldn't have been here today. If you don't hear from me this evening, you'll know that I have the ticket. Yeah, I know. I'll keep you in mind, Jerry. I know, folks, I will. I'll come in and do a late lunch tomorrow. I promise. I wouldn't let you start. I wouldn't do I that. Wouldn't. I know I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't indeed. Anyway, let's move on on the show. I have a fantastic young man uh, joining me from London. Now, listen to this. He has over 25 million streams of his music on Spotify. 
Love Island. If you're a Love Island fan, his music has featured in the, la- in the last four seasons. He won the BBC talent competition Little Mix The Search with a boy band called Since September. And he's recently signed a publishing deal with Sony. Hello, I say today to Matthew Nolan. Hi, Matthew. How are you doing? You okay? I'm really good. Well, that's some introduction. So here we go. You're going to live up to this now for me, boy. Oh, no, I mean, I was not prepared for such a lovely introduction, Jerry. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, you're very welcome. But here... Jerry, before, go on, go on, go on, go on. Further, a friend of James McAlarney is a friend of mine, Jerry. So. <laughs> there you go. Thanks a million. Well, listen, a little birdie told me, and it could be James or it, it could be Fiona or it could be somebody else, said that you got your big break when you sang The Lord is My Shepherd at eight years of age at your Holy Communion. Is that right? Listen, I don't know. You you know a couple of different birdies then because that is absolutely true, Jerry. <laughs> James McAlaney was front row singing along. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Miss Martin gave me that opportunity and she said it was out of a hat and I knew she picked it. She yeah. picked it with, with, with absolute certainty. Oh, she picked you. You were the man. <laughs> so look at it. Music was something, was it, from a young age? Seriously, yes. Uh, I guess so. Like not Honestly, not that much. Like uh, I liked singing. And I had like an older, I have an older sister who was always singing and she was listening to a lot of pop music and stuff. But no, it was always kind of heavily football and stuff. Not that I could keep up with the likes mm-hmm. of uh, James McElhaney and James Rice, but I was always, you know, it was more of a sport, sporty thing for me, but I always liked singing. And yeah. then it kind of crept in around 15, 16, to be honest. So it wasn't as early as you'd imagine. Right. Yeah. Okay, so the communion was the one-off and you kept your 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 talent under your bushel for another few years before you got the football and everything out of your system and away you went from there. Do you play an instrument yourself? Do you play, yes, as well yeah. as writing and singing, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I play guitar and a little bit of piano here and there, yeah, mm. absolutely. I was actually watching uh, the biopic last night, Rocket Man, the Elton Ma- Elton John uh, movie. I don't know whether you've seen it, but it was interesting. Yeah, of course, yeah. To, yeah, to see the way he developed as well and where his career went. Now, for you, what got you really going then in your teens and beyond? What was the big break? I think you know what when I was like sixteen, I you know I trekked over to Galway to do um, this fella texted me on Facebook and he said he had a recording studio. And then when I got to Galway after convincing me to let me go, um, he just had a laptop and a standalone microphone. And it wasn't the most professional thing, but we, we, we put a song out there and I kind of put a song out. And then to be honest with you, I wouldn't call it a break, but kind of seeing the reaction mm. from, you know, my, my schoolmates and my peers, it was quite um, inspiring, quite, um, I was like, oh, listen, you know what? I quite like the attention, to be honest. That's where it started. Um, now, I don't feel the same anymore, but back then, I remember being a, a naive 16-year-old being like, you know what, I'll get loads of likes on Facebook if I sing. But um, it's definitely, you definitely got to start when I was 16, but I would, yeah, I'm still kind of looking for the break. But it's, it's you know, unfortunate that the, the Little Mix TV show with the BBC, that kind of, I guess that was the break in 2020. Mm. And, of course, the part of the prize for, you know, forming the boy band called Since September was to go on tour with Little Mix and open for them across Europe. That must have been something else. Yeah, you know, it was amazing. It was really good. I think about it every other day. It was great. You know, we got to play a couple of nights in, you know, the Tree Arena. Uh, we got to play the, the London O2 three nights in a row. Like, it was special, you know. It's something. It was just like a bucket list thing ticked off, so... Mm. And how are my friends and family there as well? It was very, very nice. Yeah, it was great, as you can imagine. Yeah, it was really fun. Had you much, you know, interaction with the girls from Little Mix? Yeah, I mean, as much as you'd like, I think, as in, obviously, <laughs> it's such a... <laughs> That's a leading statement. Go on. 
No, not as much as you would hope. But, no, but I mean, uh, it was great. Like we, they obviously, you know, they 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 put on a show, so yeah. it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't just like you know going out with a with a solo artist. You know, they've got outfit changes, they've got choreography, they've got they've got it all. So it's a really busy, busy, busy behind the scenes. So obviously we're we're in the same kind of area with them, dressing rooms and stuff. But you know, every time you see them. There's like four people around them doing their makeup, doing their hair. So it was a very. But on the TV show, we we got a lot of time with them, I guess. But on the road, like we got as much time as you'd you'd kind of think because they do put on an amazing show and it's so busy that you know they're in the zone every day. Mm. Was Jesse Nelson with them still at that stage when you were opening? No, 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 she wasn't. But she was on the TV show. She yes, was, she was on the TV yes, show. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, look at sure they've had their own trials and, and tribulations as well. And they came, of course, from X Factor. They were a, a manufactured group from there. Exactly. That's kind of why they they put the show together because yeah, they wanted some. They thought you know they had some success from the same kind of from the same kind of um, setup. So yeah, mm. they kind of wanted to do it again. And they want and it was it was it was amazing. I think. They they might have had like you hear things about the X Factor all the time, and I think they didn't have like some of their experience. They were like, we want to just give it again to someone else, you know. That kind yeah, of thing. yeah, That's yeah. yeah. Fair, fair juice to them. Yeah, since September is no more, that you've gone your separate ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're not together anymore. As of we did our um, goodbye tour in October last year. You know, we played a couple of shows across the UK, and it was amazing. You know, I miss it every day, but it's just one of those things. Mm. Life. Mm. You know, we were put together. Sometimes it doesn't always get. We all had different plans. Like one of the members left uh, before we disbanded, so we were down to a tree. Yeah. Because Jacob, uh, you know, he left. He went to do musical theatre on the West End because that's his calling. You know, so we yeah. we absolutely have no hard. We're all, you know, we stay in touch all the time. Like I'll be going to Jacob's engagement party next next month. You know, absolutely all still friends, but yeah, Good. just no more. That's good. That's good that you still have that connection between you all. Tell me about Love Island and your music. Yeah, well, listen, I keep sending my application in, Jerry, but they keep saying I don't have the abs for it, but maybe <laughs> next year. But uh, the music, the music, yeah, I, I'm i lucky enough, um, you know, the Love Island team, they're very kind to me. I've had had my music played there like 11 times over the last kind of three, four series. Um, and it's great because I'm a huge fan of the show. Me and my mummy watch it all the time. Obviously, I'm in London, she's in Jarda, but I was home last week, two weeks ago. I was, I was in Jarda and she... Um, we were watching, and actually, one of the nights uh, my song was on, so it's always great because I tend not to tell her anymore when it's on, so she gets a nice little surprise hearing her son's voice when she's when she's watching the show. But it's yeah, it's amazing. It's great to be a fan of the show and get to hear your voice on it every now and again as well. He mightn't have the abs, but he has the albums. Remember that, folks. Tomorrow yeah, that's night. Why, that's why, tomorrow, <laughs> exactly, Jerry. Listen, this is why they say you're the big book. You're the man. <laughs> Yeah, I got the I got the old lingo from your man that does the connection with Louise, my producer, be slagging me about that. We watched it for a season. Actually, I'm not watching the current one, but we did last year and we had great fun here with it on the show. But fair juice to you, man. You are in there with your music. Well done to you on that one. Now, what about this publishing deal with Sony? Does that suggest that, you know, writing perhaps is, is something they, they obviously see this in you as one aspect of you, but they want to tap more into that. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. So kind of towards the end of since September, I kind of found that I was more in love with kind of the behind the scenes stuff, which is the songwriting, which mm. I've always had a, an interest in. But I kind of was writing, you know, London, it's a very, very intense scene over here. And it, there's a lot more behind the scenes than, you know, most people know. And there's a big songwriting community who, you know, they go with different artists every day. And I kind of found that towards the end after Little Mix tour, really, because I met a lot of people through Little Mix. 
Um, and I kind of was writing and then I was lucky enough to get offered a publishing deal, which is I'm signed through Sony Music Publishing here in the UK. And it's it's great. And I do be writing for other artists. I write, uh, you know, every day. I kind of go to different studios and I I work with, you know, different artists. Some, some most people have probably heard of. Some are new artists. Mm. You know, I, I love developing new artists too. I love working with artists that don't even have music out yet. Um, because, yeah, I try to keep... Keep the music always quite sincere, but sometimes you know, I'm, like I've worked before with like the likes of like Rudimental, who are like drum and bass artists. Where like <laughs> normally, if anyone knows my music, it's all kind of like piano ballads. So obviously, yeah. you just step up to the plate when you know you're working with a drum and bass artist. It's a bit different for me, but you know, it's it's all rooted in the same place. So it's it's great, and it's yeah, it's different every day, which is amazing. I'm very lucky to have it as a job, and mm. then I also kind of you know continue to release my own stuff. But yes. I, you know, I, I manage. I, own, I have a obviously I have a lovely manager, but uh, we own that. Like we're independent on the artist front for now. You know, for now we've mm. got we're going to focus on the writing. We're lucky to go through Sony for the writing, and then obviously, if one day we we kind of kick on with the artist stuff, you know, obviously we we know everyone there if we were to take it to the next step. Yes. For now, just taking it day by day, but it's great. When you say write, is that lyrics and music? Yeah, yeah. So it's lyrics and music. So normally I'll go in with like, um, sometimes if I'm in with like, I'll always be with a producer. So I'm just I'm called a top liner. So I write melodies and lyrics. Yeah. But obviously I can write songs on my own. Um, mm. but normally there's like a producer who will like have an idea before the song, uh, before the day. So they'll bring in like a track and then you'll top line it, which just means that you'll kind of sing over it. Mm. And sometimes you're lucky enough to have an artist in the room. Sometimes you send it to different artists. Like I've had a couple of songs come out recently that. I've sent two airs. Like last week, I had a song come out with Molly Rainford, who was like a finalist on uh, Strictly Come Dancing. Yes. She's an, she's an EastEnders. I wrote a song for her last uh, that came out last week that I wrote last year because uh, I was with my friends uh, and they had like a, a beat, if you would, or an instrumental. And I just kind of, we wrote over the song together. And that came out last week. And then there's an unbelievable artist called Solomon, who is, uh, you know, he just signed to... Um, uh, Warner and Darkest Bees who found I think he first signed Amy Winehouse like he's amazing a and and you know we had that kind of same thing where we wrote a song and, and then we sent it to Solomon and he did his thing on it so it kind of works like that and then sometimes you write with the artist so yeah it's, it's great London what about a city I, I, it's a city I absolutely love I have to say it's, it's terrific to live there to feed off the vibe of the art scene and everything like that in one of the greatest cities in the world you know what it's great you know, it's it's good. It's like you said, it's a great city. I think it's good to, you know, keep, you know, from people at home, like my mother and father and my sister, they always think it looks so exciting, but obviously they just see the, they just see the, <laughs> the highlights. I guess like it's, a, you know, yeah. I was saying to my friend earlier on who lived in San Francisco, he was like, after, after a while, you know, the Golden Gate Bridge is just a bridge. Uh, yes. So I think that's the kind of vibe. It's like everywhere becomes home after, if you're lucky enough to fall in love with a place. But yeah, like, I spend a lot of time in like Los Angeles too. I was there for two months in at the start of the year. And so I'm lucky that my job takes me different places that are exciting, mm. like you said, like London and uh, Los Angeles and different other places. But it's it's definitely definitely a good city, all right. And it's mm. it's, it's good to stay motivated because it's so busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right about when when, when you live there as well. It, it it's just you know it's home and you you get on with it. We go to London, we go to the shows, we go shopping, we go visiting these places, and we really exactly. see a different so- side of it. Do you like when you get back to the banks of the Boyne? A hundred percent. I was only back there. I came back for two weeks, which I hadn't really been home since Christmas. So I was home for two weeks there. 
uh, and then oh it's amazing I love going into the coffee box go into um, you know go into the pubs go in sometimes I, I regret it the next day but I love at the time going into Fusion you know all that stuff it's great but um Absolutely. It's it's great to see my parents. And then actually my parents were over here in London last week. So we did great. the whole thing, you know, going to the show, yeah, going yeah. to the restaurant. Lovely. Yeah. Lovely, 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 lovely. Anyway, introduce this one. Here you are, working with our own Fiona O'Brien. This song is by Matthew Nolan. It's called This Ain't a Movie. In a word or two, what's the story with this one? This song is just about, Jerry. it's just about love. It's all about love. But I have to give a big shout out to Fiona O'Brien. He is the master. He's a great guy. You're lucky to have him there. As you know, he's a, he's a beautiful man inside and out. But this song is just about falling in love and feeling like the other person isn't really there yet. But, you know, you just kind of wish it was happening. But thank you so much for speaking to me today, Jerry. Thank you for joining us. It's a, a pleasure. It really is. Wish you well with everything in the future. Here he is, Matthew uh, Nolan. And this ain't a movie on Late Lunch. I'm lying as November turns to February I'm crying cause they said the pain was temporary No more goodbye Cause you got my number blocked in your phone I'm trying to move on but my heart won't let me I'm hiding, keep laying with the coat you left me Tried to move on, I wrote too many songs about you in this heart is it seen night of April 16th I'm out of my head, I've been drinking again These streets of London couldn't keep me awake He couldn't keep me away this time It's like we met for the first time tonight And I'm falling, I'm holding your hand In the streets that we're walking But this ain't a fairy tale no happy ending Just wish that when you told me that you loved me You meant it I know I say too much Sometimes just hear what I'm saying Get down on my knees again Each night I've been praying Cause I don't wanna lose you You don't care if you lose me But this ain't a movie So why would you choose me? I keep praying, explain myself to all my friends But all they keep saying You'll find us now with someone else Don't wanna move on I wrote every single song about you In this heart is it same night of April 16th I'm out of my head I've been drinking again These streets of London couldn't keep me awake No, he couldn't keep me away this time like we met for the first time tonight and I'm falling I'm holding your hand in the streets that we're walking But this ain't a fairy tale, there's no happy ending Just wish that when you told me that you loved me, you meant it I know I say too much sometimes, just hear what I'm saying Get down on my knees again, each night I've been praying Cause I don't wanna lose you, you don't care if you lose me this ain't a movie, so why would you choose me? Since we 
we've walked in But this ain't a fairy tale Where's our happy ending? Tell me when you told me that you loved me, you meant it I know I say too much, sometimes just hear what I'm saying I get down on my knees again, each night I keep praying Cause I don't wanna lose you, you don't care if you lose me But this ain't a movie, why would a girl like you choose me? James, you're familiar uh, with the Boards Mill. You know, you know yeah. the story on late lunch. Story. Yeah, the whole story and going out to Beliver and tasting it and everything and something new from a takeaway. But I bet you never heard of this one. The deep fried jam sandwich. Never. The, chief, the deep, deep fried jam, jam sandwich. sandwich. OK, well, well, I explain. Dude. OK, do you know who's behind this? And honestly, it's it, it's really taken legs. Delia Smith. Did you ever hear Delia Smith? The most famous famous TV chef probably ever. Well, Delia went to a local takeaway. Delia does go to takeaways. It's just not (laughs) cordon bleu. You know, they all do. Anyway, she went to a local takeaway and saw this thing on the menu. A deep fried jam sandwich. She says, I'll have one. Oh, she thought it was that good. She knows she owns Norwich City Football Club with her yeah. husband. It's on the menu now for the new season no in the ground. Oh. oh, listen, it is. Do you know what it is? It's a, it costs now a fiver, right? It's not cheap. Um, the the board's mill is most, m- much more cost effective, 270 euro. Um, anyway, two slices of white bread, James, right? Yeah. With This is very important. Tip Tree's strawberry jam in the middle. That's very particular. Right? Tip Tree's st- strawberry jam. Yeah. You, so to crimp it round the, round the edge, it's a real fresh white bread, right? Um, you deep fry it into batter and deep oh. fry it, James, okay? And then dust it with caster sugar. Oh. What do you think? I think it sounds, what do you think? sounds like diabetes. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. I'd say it'd be tasty enough, but you're, what do they say? A moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips kind of thing. That's what it sounds like to me, Jerry. I don't think if I was the head of the car road next season that I'd be queuing up to buy a five pound deep fried jam sandwich from Delia Smith or whoever's making it for me there. It's on the menu in oh. Carra Road. It is for next season. And she said, you know what she said? Now, this is some endorsement from the Queen herself. She says it's better than a jam donut. You know the jam donuts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't beat the original sometimes. Yeah, the jam mm. donuts. She feels that it actually is. But in, in the takeaway, it's a man called Eric Snaith is the man in the takeaway. He says he's had it on the menu for about five years and it is just demanded always Jeez. by lots of people yeah. who go so they get their chips and fish yeah. and then for the dessert afterwards I was going to say the pork pie is not what they often have at the games the, the pies the yeah. pork pies yeah. are on the, the trend is it then oh, well I'll tell you Delia's pork pie at Norwich they reckon is the best in the league and we understand that but she now has something sweet to go along with the savoury if you know what I mean yeah, she balance. has both now yeah. but five is a bit steep isn't it five pounds yeah, like. for, for a jam sandwich when oh you think about God. it now it'd you be know. six euro yeah. six euro whereas our boards mill two 70 better value in Beliver I think that's can't beat the local (laughs) you can't Can't beat the local local ever you can't beat it anyway just a little ditty on late lunch this afternoon if you ever get a chance to try it see it could it could take off here in Ireland now that we've mentioned on late lunch today the deep fried jam sandwich anyone on for giving it a go let us know five four three two one counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear and today it's the number five from this very week in 1992. And when I tell you the song was originally released on the 28th of August 1970 by 
the Jackson 5. It was a huge hit. It was their fourth successive number one in America. And it sold, listen to this, 6.1 million copies worldwide. It was their most successful ever song. But today we're talking about a song that was released in uh, May 1992 and made its way into the charts in the States and in Europe. Yes, it's from her album called MTV Unplugged. Miss Mariah Carey I'm talking about. It went to number one in the USA. It was her sixth number one there. But in the UK it fell just short at number two. But anyway, it's our number five from this very week. The UK charts in 1992. Here it is, Mariah Carey, a cover of the Jackson 5's I'll Be There. Mariah Carey, number five in our top five countdown from this very week in 1992, accompanied there by R&B singer Trey Lorenz, who sang Jermaine Jackson's lines from the original Jackson 5 release back in 1970. Our number five this week, 92. We'll bring you the four, three, two, one over the coming days, round about this time on your late lunch. Final break of the afternoon on the way. Do you hear, watch or see, I'd say a lot of people do The Angelus before the main evening news on RTE. The People's Angelus happens one day a week on the show. I think it's the last day of the week or whatever, but uh, there's a new series of features and I think they're absolutely beautiful. Whether you're of faith, of no faith or a different faith to the Catholic faith, uh, they're really beautiful and they make you ponder and pause for a moment ahead of the main evening news. Well, next up on the show, we're going to meet a local man from Grange Bellew, Noel Marry, who is featured in the new run of The People's Angelus. I love watching the Angelus feature before the news uh, on RT, the main evening six o'clock news. And there are many familiar ones. The land, the lad doing the sand feature. There's the one in Atlone, uh, the baking of the uh, the bread in Dundalk, etc. Well, there's a new run of them happening at the moment. And I notice one in a garden with the most beautiful wildlife feature and creatures. And I wondered... Who is behind that? And lo and behold, I discovered then it was a local man from Grange Bellew, Noel Marry, and he joins me on Late Lunch today. Hi, Noel. Hello, Jerry. Well, Noel, congratulations to you. It's absolutely superb, your gardens and the wildlife in it as well. How did you come to feature on The the People's Angelus? Well, um, a couple of years ago, I did uh, a documentary in my garden. I, I'm into film and photography. And I filmed my garden over 12 months, starting at Christmas, right to um, the spring, to summer, the autumn. I, I finished up in the winter. I, I just filmed all the wildlife that was in it, like uh, as the boards came in and I built uh, nest boxes for them and filmed them building the nest boxes and hatching and laying. And then we had frogs came to the garden and they had frogs spawn. So over the year, when I had the whole thing filmed, um, I heard they were revamping the people's Andes. Like it used to be, it was just the Andes, but then we were going to put in a segment on a Friday where anybody from the public, anybody at all, could send in stuff. 
So I put something together about six months ago, but I didn't do anything else with it. And my missus was always saying to me, did you ever send that in? And I could no. And she kept saying to me, so eventually I did, probably about three, four weeks ago, one wet day, and I sent it in. I got a reply that day, I said, yeah, they loved it, and they wanted the feature, and they wanted to show it on the answers to people the answers on a Friday. Brilliant, Noel. What a story this is. You were picked up almost immediately. I'm not surprised. So this was done over the year and they, of course, edited it into the segment that we see now. And just you mentioned, it is the Friday segment is donate, is dedicated to anybody or anyone can can pitch for that slot. Yeah, um, first thing would be, no, uh, I actually edited it myself. I oh, did you? I picked out random right. pieces and put it together. Okay. On top would make sense. And then um, the Friday is the one that's open to primarily the local for students, but I was kind of <laughs> the other end of the section being a pensioner, so I thought <laughs> I was probably newsworthy maybe for different reasons. So, Noel, you're always a student all your life, no yeah. matter what stage. You know that, no matter what stage of life you're at. But here, there, isn't there another story to this? Because your garden, I- again, and your gardening and wildlife is a new thing. Yeah, well... Probably what happened was during lockdown, I know lockdown for a lot of people wasn't a good time and people had a very bad time, but we were lucky we had a big garden. And I've been honest with you, the first lockdown, one of the best three months of my life, we were home every day and the phone wasn't ringing and the weather was brilliant. So uh, my son was also home, so I decided to revamp the garden. I just had a lawn in it and... Uh, we dug it up in a wildlife pond and got rid of the grass and put in mostly, and it's not, not all native stuff. There's quite a lot of stuff that wouldn't be native, but everything I would buy. You know when you go into a garden centre now, mm. you see the little tiger that they tell you was biodiversity friendly, it's good for pollen, nectar, for bees, butterflies. Well, I always buy stuff with those little tags on them. Yeah. So uh, it just evolved then over the time and... When the grandkids come now, they used to come and run straight into the house, but they don't anymore. They could make a beeline for the pond to see the tadpoles and see them developing legs and turning into frogs, and it's great for them as well. Mm, but you have converted your garden and a real positive lockdown into a wildlife haven. Uh, when I rang you to uh, chat to you ahead of this uh, yesterday, you, you were saying to me, oh, here here comes the robin. I, I'm feeding them out of my hand. Yeah, well, we've, normally in a garden you will only have um, a pair of robins because they're very territorial. And one yeah. of the few boards is territorial the whole year long. And... Uh, but we're very lucky, and uh, we, we have a pair out the front of the nest. We have a pair at the back. Mm. And we, we are then uh, beside them, there's a pair there. So between them all, and I kind of know some of them are here. I know of the bus cousins, and we have two uncles, and we have nephews coming <laughs> to the garden. I kind of know between them. <laughs> and uh, but when I have to feed some in the front, some in the back, and some in the side, because if one goes into the other territory, there's a, a fight and a big fluff of feathers. <laughs> <laughs> they are territorial. I know that, Nolan. You generally only have a pair in your vicinity. You're amazing right. that you have uh, several different families as well. But they do come and feed out of your hand. The bees flying in and out of the flowers, everything that you present on your segment on the People's Angeles, it's inspiring, Noel. It's wonderful. You must be so proud of it. Yeah, well, the, the, the thing, that whole thing, like some of that would have featured on RTE, some of that stuff from the garden on, on different 
different programs. Mm. So obviously then I would have could have handpicked the bits I thought were relevant um, just for that segment, you know, and stuff with nice light and get the bees and the butterfly and the birds, especially them nesting and stuff like that. Even with nesting now, even with, say, like blackbirds nesting in your own garden, yeah. you have to get a license from the National Parks and Wildlife Service to film that once it's a nesting situation. So mm. it's okay with a nest box you film them get in and out, but if you're going to put a camera into a live box, you know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that's that's what you have to do. But yeah, I enjoy doing. I still enjoy doing. Even today, now today, for the first time in our garden, when hour before, uh, I be, before you rang, there was a hummingbird moth out on the buddleia bush on the front, Brilliant. and I've never seen one of them in our garden before. So there's always something new. And last week we had a painted lady butterfly. Lovely. I did make all the trek all the way from Africa mm. to Ireland. They breed somewhere along the way, but they breed maybe France and Spain. But they end up in Ireland, stay here for the summer when the autumn comes to go back. Mm. You get a great sense of satisfaction when you put plants in the garden. Like that would be a bush. The common name is a butterfly bush. Yes. And uh, yeah, what you see in there, there could be up to a dozen butterflies on at any one time, particularly on a calm day when mm. the sun's shining. Mm. Brilliant, Noel. I can see you uh, having a new middle name, Noel Attenborough Mary, and I see this has been only the first instalment of many to come on the People's Angeles. I love it. Watch out for it, folks. When you see the birds nesting, the bees going in and out of the flowers, etc., it is Noel Mary from Grange Bellew. Noel, best wishes with the garden. Thank you for joining me today. Lovely, Jerry. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Noel Mary there. It's simply wonderful. Big thank you to James McAlerney who guided me through the last couple of hours. Thanks, James, today. Eddie Caffrey's on his way with The Drive. We're back with Late Lunch, 1.30 tomorrow. And uh, you'll be waiting for us. We'll finish up today with I'll Be Waiting from Keen Ducro. See you tomorrow. If you ever want to fall